0: For 35 years, Bob Barker hosted The Price is Right. How many remember that? Watching that? Okay, cool. So you'll I'll tell you what it was, just in case. But I think almost everybody knows. Contestants would be called out of the studio audience to play various games. You know, come on down, so and so. And the prices were, or the games were always about what the price was. Is and it's always the standard grocery items. Although I can guarantee you, there was advertisements all throughout there. You know, it wasn't just a green beans, it was green giant green beans or whatever. Um, But the games were like, how much is a can of tuna? Or is this can of yams more or less than this bottle of dish soap? And you had to kind of know all that. Uh, After Bob retired, uh, Drew Carey picked it up for a while. I'm kind of out of touch what's going on with it now, but really nothing much changed over the years except for the prices, which dramatically changed from... (laughs) the mid-70s to recent years. So um, today's message is all about the value of stuff or value and what something is really worth, all right? That's the parables that we're going to be looking at. All right, so let's pray before we open the word. Lord, we thank you for the gathering this morning. We thank you for the folks online and listening and watching later and the folks that are here. Lord, we just open ourselves up to you to hear what you have to say. And, Lord, I just pray that that you would lead and guide this time, that it would be fruitful um, and it would multiply. And, Lord, we just thank you for everything that you're doing and all the things that are going on here and for the season and for your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so let's open. I got a froggy in my throat all the way here. So let's open God's word and consider uh, basically a pair of parables that are specifically about the kingdom of God. Now, this is going to be out of Matthew's gospel, Uh, Matthew 13. We're going to start at uh, 44, Um, and it reads this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden hidden in in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again... The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Now, these two parables obviously are very closely linked, right? So much so that they seem to be saying the same thing in a different way. And in my digging around, something kind of though kept nagging at me about it because While they're very similar, the structure's similar, there is yet a difference. And it's that difference we're going to explore somewhat today. They're kind of more like two sides of the same coin with an idea or a truth that is held in tension. And if we take a look at that, we get to see something really cool. So let's take a look at the first parable. So in the first parable, a man digs a hole in someone else's field. Why? <laughs> we don't normally go around digging random holes in other people's yards, right? Or in their fields just for fun. Um, if you went home today, later this afternoon, found someone digging holes in your backyard, you would probably not be very happy. Um, you might confront them about it, or you might call the police even. Um, so if something was going on. Now, it could be, that the man was a servant. It could be that he was employed to you know, maybe dig a ditch or put up a fence row or perhaps dig a well for someone. We don't know that part of it. Jesus didn't give us that particular piece of information. But those are plausible reasons why that may be happening anyway. So the man dug a hole, and he found a treasure. We hear stories like that all the time, where someone finds in England an ancient cache of Roman coin Out of the blue, right? So in the man's excitement, he hid it again. Again, that doesn't sound like normally the way we would do things, right? If we find it, we take it. That's finders keepers, right? But there's kind of an explanation for this one. So some of the things I was reading this week about this, it would seem that the law of the land at that time was that if he found a treasure and didn't take it out of the hole, but reburied it, it it was fine. But if he took it out of the hole, it belonged to the owner of the field, not to the person who discovered it. So he left it, he hid it, then he went to buy the field, and then it was legally his. That was was kind of the the behind-the-scenes look at why that all plays out. So then, as we know in the parable, the man goes and sells everything he owns and buys this field. And this wasn't a moment of sorrow. If you read this, there's an excitement to it and a joy. He was joyful over selling everything to gain this one treasure. And that joy over the treasure is really the whole nut of the, whole pa- of the parable. The kingdom of Christ is so valuable, so desirable, that it's worth giving up everything to gain it. But here we've got to be a little careful, for you see, Jesus' intention isn't that we're purchasing the kingdom. Okay, we don't buy our way into the kingdom. But really what it's talking about is willingly push aside those things that get in our way of fully enjoying the kingdom. So that's valuable, it's something we want, something we will give up stuff for. We're not the only ones to try to figure out what this looks like. So Paul wrestled with this, and he wrote to the Church of Philippi about it. Um, In Philippians 3, and it's verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything. Counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Now, being that this is not the family friendly version of the service, um, that word garbage is manure. So it's it's, it's really a harsher word than English. They want to kind of soften things out sometimes, but it's it's really a very strong, strong word. Now, at this point, somebody's going, but I don't want to give up everything. Okay, let me assure you, God isn't, doesn't need your money and your possessions. Okay, he's got, he's got what he needs. The mess, this, message, this isn't a message about, let me rephrase it, this isn't a message about giving to the local body and doing all those things. Christ's message and the message of the parable is about changing our value system and reconsidering where our treasure really is. Now, to understand that, you've got to think How does Jesus value things, and why is he putting it this way? And there is a story. Maybe this is the story Chris was waiting for. There is a story in Mark 12. Jesus was at the temple, and he sat down to watch what was going on. And starting in verse 41, uh, Mark records it this way. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts, And then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who were making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. So we we when we account for things we think in terms of the real value of or what we perceive to be the real value of money. In the kingdom, the valuation's different. It's what do you have and what are you giving? What are you pushing aside or laying aside, however we want to put that. And as you look through the gospels and you look through the Bible, there's a lot of examples that we could pull from. So there's Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're out fishing. They're doing their thing. They're throwing nets in the water and pulling fish out. And Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And they leave their nets and their careers and their livelihoods to follow him. And then kind of an opposite example is the example of the rich young ruler who was also invited to follow Jesus but couldn't give it all up. Now we're going to take a closer look at that one because there's something I want you to hear in the way that it's it's expressed. So it goes this way. In Matthew 19, starting at 16, someone came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which one, or which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother, love your neighbors yourself. And the man thought, you know what, and said, I will obey all these commandments. And he should have stopped right there, because he met the criteria, right? But something was missing. So he asked the next question. I have obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? So Jesus said, hey, if you do this, you're great. He said, I've done all that. I'm great. And the guy goes, no, I'm not great. Something's still not right. What else must I do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete, go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And the part that I wanted to pull out of that is how the young man contrasts with our hole-digging friend from the parable. Notice the emotions. The man in the parable was excited and joyful. I, I can see him almost being giddy, you know. That's just the way it reads. It doesn't expressly say that, but boy, it sure does lend itself to that kind of thought. Um, the young man who encountered Jesus went away sad and grieving. Again, it all boils down to the value that we assign to the things in our lives. So what things? What things are we talking about? Are we just talking about money and possession? Well, no, that'd be the easy part, right? There are many things that we value greatly. Some things we value more than time or more than money. I gave away one. Time is one of those things we value. Our thoughts and opinions are another. We don't like it when those get trampled. We value those. Um, Friendships and family are things that we value, Um, whether it's distant or close, blood relative or distant relative. Um, We value our reputation, careers and our identity. All of these things, are counted in the things. And in truth, nothing, no thing, none of those things, and a lot more, is or are as valuable than gaining Christ in his kingdom. Nothing. There's nothing left. So, we come to a conclusion. To gain the kingdom, I must give everything and adopt a solitary lifestyle and live in a cave somewhere think something's not quite right there, right? Of course not. That's not, I mean, if we take it that way, we're missing the whole point too. Yes, there are some things that we're going to want to give away, put down, set down, step away from, however you want to express that. But in a lot of instances, it's not about giving up. We don't give up our family, but we change the valuation, meaning the kingdom is more, valuable in our lives than these other things. And that's really where Jesus was going. What that exactly means now between you, for you, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. It's really not my job, our job, or our responsibility to tell you what those values should be. You have to work those out yourself. Now, you can ask questions. Somebody may give hints here and there. Um, but the point is we have to examine ourselves to that point. But we'll get back to that a little bit. So we kind of got the first parable covered, but what about the second one? Now, like I said, on the surface, it sounds like just a repeat. Like Jesus just put a different... One metaphor was a guy digging, and the other one was a marketplace, and the only real difference was one accidentally found it, and one was searching for it. But (laughs) that's really not what it says. And it, to be honest, in the first draft of this message, I went that direction because most of the commentaries and things lead you to the fact that these two parables basically say exactly the same thing. But something was nagging at me because there's a difference, and the difference is important. So we're going to read it again and see if you can hear or see the difference. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovers, discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great price, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Now, if this was a high school class at this point, I'd pause and go, okay, give me the answers, you know. But since you're not high schoolers anymore, so I won't do that to you. Um, The difference is in the simile. See, we read the second parable as if it says the kingdom of heaven is like a valuable pearl that a merchant finds but it's not what it says it's the first one the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure the second one the kingdom of heaven is like a man searching for that pearl and there is the big difference but what does this different mean and kind of what I want to what I see is this it's really two sides of the same coin Holding something in tension. And what I see is basically this. The first parable is about us. We discover a treasure and we willingly give up our lives to gain the kingdom and gain Christ. We're the ones who discover the treasure of the kingdom. The second parable is about Jesus himself. He is a merchant seeking that exquisite pearl. Now, consider this. So we got to think, does this fit? All right? So, again, Paul wrote something down in Philippians. And I think you'll see where this kind of all fits together. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, King, King, you could say, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus also gave up everything to gain the kingdom, or more specifically, in my mind, to gain us. In my mind, the way I think about this, the way I put this all together, is we, the followers of Jesus throughout all time, call it the church, call it the bride of Christ. There's many metaphors for this entity, not the physical, corporate, governmental structures of church, but the church universe, the church that overwraps everything that contains all of the believers for all time. That is the pearl. That is a pearl of exquisite value. Jesus gave up everything, even suffered a cruel and humiliating death so that you and I could joyously enter into a relationship with God. Now, Jesus often spoke about this mission. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, All kinds of things. Now, another parable that kind of ties into it, although to be honest, it's not the point of the parable, but it still reveals something about Christ's heart. And it's from Luke's gospel. Luke 15 starts in verse 3. So Jesus told him this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than 99 others who are righteous and heaven not strayed away. Now the parable, like I said, is making a different point, but it does overlap because it reveals Christ's heart. The shepherd diligently searched for the one lost lamb instead of saying, I got 99, it's not worth it, that one can go its own way, I don't care, you know, I... I'll write it off on my taxes, you know, and that'll, that'll be the end of it. But that's not what Jesus said. That lost lamb was worth it. You are worth it. The people that you're praying for are worth it. You see, the big truth revealed in the two parables, in that tension of the two sides of our coin, is this. It's really short. The kingdom is worth it. That's it. It's not a big, long theological statement. The kingdom is worth it. Now, as we consider this truth that the kingdom is worth it, we have to adjust our view a little bit. And you see, when we talk about kingdom, we often consider it externally. We talk about expanding the kingdom and increasing the kingdom's reach and changing or improving the kingdom's impact on the world. And that's good. And we rightly pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm not dismissing that way of looking at things. But hopefully what I want to do this morning is to remind us that there is another perspective to adopt, an internal perspective. You see, it's not about the kingdom work isn't just about making the world right or better. It's about us more fully embracing and Christ rule and reign in us. It's almost like you could say, let your kingdom come and your will be done in this piece of earth as it is in heaven. I don't think that's too far of a stretch for a paraphrase, as long as we don't throw out the other because we're not. But at this point, this is where we need to be honest with ourselves. So I can guarantee you there are aspects of life and faith that we are, that you are, that I am, entirely sold out to God. But there are also parts in my life, probably in your life as well, that aren't that we withhold from Christ's rule and reign, that we withhold in some way from the kingdom, either fully or in part. I have them. To be honest, both of them are good things. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not sins or anything. They're just misvalued. Um, I've put a higher priority on them than they should have. And, being honest, there are also plenty of things that I can see and identify as not yet being under Christ's rule at all, either partially or fully. Because we have to be honest with ourselves. It's real easy to say, I've done X, Y, Z like the rich young ruler and think that we've got it all together. But the point is, there's always more. The question is, how do we value the kingdom? What do we do with those things? You see, the goal here is to continue the journey of more fully embracing and expanding Christ's kingdom in me, and in you, and in us. And I hope the same can be said of all of us, that you too are joyously embracing that journey of dis- excuse me, discovery and change. So I'd like to close out with an invitation and a challenge, something that goes, I invite you into this, or I challenge you, or I encourage you, Today, I'm going to give you another story, in a way, kind of a modern parable, kind of a modern whatever it is, something for you to mull over while we get to worship. Um, Consider our walk of faith to be like a car traveling down life's highway. For some, Jesus is not in the car at all. They have yet to discover the treasure. They're going their own way. They do their own thing. They may land in a ditch. They may not. Who knows where they're going to end up at because Jesus is anywhere to be found. Some found Jesus but keep him in the trunk. Not a really good place to put Jesus. But anyway, he's in the trunk with the spare tire. Okay, it's a start. It's, it's, for them, it's a start. Jesus is there for them when life blows out a tire or things go off the rails or their life breaks down. And then they walk around, open the trunk and go, Jesus, I need some help. You know what? Okay, good. If you're there, all right, now let's take the next step. For others, they've invited Jesus out of the trunk and asked him to sit in the back seat. And they're driving down the highway and every now and again they kind of talk to Jesus, maybe to complain, grumble, grumble, complain, or maybe to shoot the breeze or to get some idea of life what's all about, Jesus, can you explain this mystery? Why is the sky blue or whatever it is? You know, who knows? But Jesus is in the back seat, and he's, he's there, but not fully, fully there, right? And others, some of us, invite Jesus to ride shotgun, a ride, woohoo, as they travel down life's highway, And they ask a lot about which way to go, kind of like Jesus is their GPS. Now, I got to tell you, there are sometimes you listen to your GPS and sometimes you don't. And these people are in that boat where sometimes they listen to what Jesus is saying and sometimes they don't. And that's okay. They're getting there. It's a start, it's something, it's progress, it's in the right direction. And I think you know where the last one goes, right? Some stop the car, get out from behind the wheel, ask Jesus to drive while they ride shotgun. Those folks, the folks that have invited Jesus to drive, have given everything to gain the kingdom of Christ. Because that's what the kingdom means. Christ is in control. It's Christ's rule and reign in our life. We give him the wheel. We give him the direction. We give him everything that there is to be about it. Because the price is right. The kingdom is worth it.